Gott. Well, the first thing I want to do is say thanks to Noe and to you guys for leading us in worship. Beautiful, beautiful job. Really well done. Ministers to us. It helps us worship God in the way that He is worthy. So, thanks for that. That's beautiful, and it makes my job easier. It makes my job easier because you're already tuned in to Jesus and who He is and what He's done for you, and you're ready to hear from Him. I mean, when I worship with you, it makes me think, all right, God, I want to follow you with a whole heart, but I got some obstacles here and there. And so I need you to show me how to do that. Well, maybe, maybe part of that can happen right now as we open our Bibles and see what God has to say to us from truth, timeless truth that uh, God has given to us to guide us in our lives. Uh, you can open your Bibles, if you'd like, to the book of Ruth. Uh, and I want to I start by asking you a question. What would it be like if you had someone to narrate the events of your life as your life took place. Don't you think there are times when it would be helpful if you had this quiet voice in the background explaining exactly what was happening to you as it happened? You know, you get out of bed one day, you, you uh, kick your covers off, and you roll out of bed, and you hear the narrator say, and then Brad got up for what was to be the most important day in his life. And you hear that, and you're like, whoa, today is going to be the most important day of my life? I can't wait to see what happens. And then you know that because the narrator just told you that was what was going to happen. Or you meet someone on the street, you know, and you hear the narrator say, today Brad met the person who would change his life forever. You're like, I've never even met this person before, and they're going to change my life forever. And you're not sure if they're going to change your life for good or bad. And so you just listen to the background music. And if the background music is happy, you're like, okay, I just met the person who's going to change my life forever in the best way I could imagine. Or you hear cellos and French horns. And you think, uh-oh, this person is going to change my life forever, and I don't think it's going to be in a good way. All that because of the narrator in your life. And, and maybe sometimes not just narration, but sound effects, you know, like screeching violins. You reach for a doorknob, and you hear violins go, ree, 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 and you pull your hand back, and you ree, 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 and you're like, I think I won't go through this door. I'm just going to be happy on this side of that door and see how things turn out. I mean, life would be a lot simpler Events would be a lot clearer to us if we had that kind of narration take place, especially if the narrator kind of clued us in to when it was that God just did something. You know, if the narrator was able to help us sense God's activity in our life, you know, like after three days of tearing the house apart, God helped Brad find his keys. So when I find my keys, I'm like, all right, God's the one who helped me find those keys because I pretty much used every idea I had and didn't find them. And, and for me, that would be helpful because I'm not, a, I'm not always in tune in that level. I don't always see God when He's at work in my life. I don't always see that, and maybe that's true for you too. What we need is a narrator. Well, in Faithful, our study of Ruth, 
Ruth gets a narrator. She gets a narrator. Someone is going to explain the events of her life. Some of them before they happen. Some of them while they're happening. Some of them after they've happened so that you know, that she can look back and see the significance of these events. Someone's going to explain the events of her life as they're happening. Uh, and, and here's what's good about it. It's this narrator explains these things, and, but doesn't explain everything. So there's still, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to look at some events in Ruth's life, and we're going to see God at work, but the narrator's not going to tell us everything because what we need is practice. We don't need, tra- we need, there's like training wheels, not someone to, to ride the bicycle. For- we need practice in discerning God's events and God's activities in our life. And so, so we're going to see this narrator describe a lot of what happens in Ruth's life, but not tell us everything, and we're going to have to learn to connect some dots so that we can look at Ruth's life and say, oh, that's how God worked in the life of an ordinary person. And then we'll be able to take the same lessons and look at our own lives and say, oh, so that's how God might also show up in my life as well. And we're going to get practice for discerning God's presence and activity in our own lives by looking at Ruth and God's activity in her life. So I want to catch you up on where we're at in, in our uh, in, you know, in this episode of the book of Ruth, you know, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, has just returned home from Moab. Her husband had taken her and her family to Moab to escape a famine and it didn't go as planned. He died there and th- their two sons died. And so Ru- uh, Naomi is headed back from the land of Moab, back to, back to where she came from, back home to Bethlehem in Israel, where she was supposed to be all along. And so she comes back home, and uh, despite her efforts to discourage it, her daughter-in-law has tagged along with her. She's turned back, turned several times to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and said, Ruth, don't come with me. There's no one you know here. There's nothing, there's nothing for you here. Just go back home to Moab and, and, and make a life. But uh, Ruth doesn't listen to her. She actually makes a lifelong pledge of loyalty where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and that's where I'll be buried. So Ruth, pretty committed to come too. And they arrive in, in uh, Bethlehem. And here they are. They're two widows in Bethlehem. Two women without men in a time when you needed a man for survival. You needed a, a husband or a father or a brother or a son to protect you and to provide for you. And all the men are wiped off the scene. And so the, we have these two women with no one to take care of them. They're back in Bethlehem. Nobody to take care of them. No social safety net to help them. Just them trying to figure out how they're going to make their way in this brutal world. So that's where we pick up the story, and we're going to read and find out what happens to them. How are they going to make it? How are they going to make it to widows in Bethlehem? And we're going to read Ruth chapter 2. We're going to practice seeing God's presence, seeing God's activity in an ordinary person's life, in some very ordinary events, so that we can learn a little bit more about how he works in our lives. I want you to notice that the spotlight shifts in chapter 2 from Naomi, who's, been, who's in the spotlight in chapter 1. Ruth is the, is the center, center of attention in chapter 2. It's Ruth. 
And uh, as we read this, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to take a long time with it. We're just going to kind of comment as we go. So we're going to read through and comment, make observations as we read what happens in this particular episode. And then I want you to look for something. There's one statement that uh, one particular scholar says, uh, has made, you know, made this statement about it. There is in this passage a statement that stands above the rest as one of the most significant interpretive comments of the whole book. So what you're going to look for is the narrator telling you something really important, all right, that, that is a critical interpretive comment buried somewhere in chapter 2. So let's read it. We're going to take our time to go through it. All right, so we're beginning in Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. Remember, that was her husband's name, Elimelech. She had a a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And then in verse 2, the subject changes. Verse 1 is all about this. The narrator is telling us something important that we're going to need to know later. It's like, I'm, ch- I'm just letting you know this before I get into the story. It's like, I'm going to tell you a joke, and the only way you can understand this joke is if you know this. So first let me tell you this, and then I'll tell you the joke, and you'll get it. That's what verse 1 is. It's a, let me give you some information so that when we get to this point in the story, you will know that this particular man, a guy named Boaz, is a, is a relative of Elimelech's, so he's family, And he's a man of standing. He's a man of importance and respect. So when we get there, don't forget who Boaz is. Now, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I have found favor. This is the practice of gleaning, where you go to someone behind, behind them in the harvest and you pick what they kind of missed and what they left over. And you get a, you get a glean, and that's what poor people did uh, to provide for themselves. And so you've got Ruth and Naomi. Naomi's probably depressed. She's sitting at home. Remember, she just said, Call me bitter. Change my name from pleasant to bitter because God's been bitter to me. She's probably in a room with the curtains pulled, and she can't do anything. And they're just getting poorer and hungrier by the day. So finally, Ruth says, listen, somebody's got to do something around here. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to the fields, and I'm going to glean. We're not just going to die by sitting here doing nothing. And Naomi says to her, go ahead, my daughter. And she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. I imagine Boaz as kind of this big, burly, countrified guy in a pickup truck, you know. He's that kind of a guy. And actually, his dialect, the, his, uh, the, the dialogue, when he speaks in the book of Ruth, it's a different kind of a tone, and it does kind of reflect this countrified kind of verbiage in Hebrew. And so that's who Boaz is, this big personality. He pulls up in his truck, uh, dust cloud behind him, you know, and he says, the Lord be with you to all the harvesters. And they call back, the Lord bless you. 
And all of a sudden, you realize, hey, this is not just an ordinary group of people here. Remember the book of Judges? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. But here's Boaz. The Lord be with you. And the people who work for him, the Lord bless you. Wow, maybe there's a little pocket of grace right here in this field. And Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, whose young woman is that? He sees Ruth out there working hard, and he says, who's that? And the foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. Now, Bethlehem's a little town. News travels. Okay, everybody kind of knew bitter, you know, pleasant is back, only she's changed her name to bitter, you know, the, the, the person formerly known as pleasant. And uh, uh, she's bitter now, and everybody knows. And, and she, that's who she is. She came from Moab with Naomi, and she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves, among the harvesters. And she went into the field, and she has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Hard-working lady. So Boaz says to Ruth, he kind of singles her out, and he says, my daughter, listen to me. Now Boaz is probably a good deal older than Ruth, and probably could, she probably could be his daughter. Boaz says, uh, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. We get that, 21st century America. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, you go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Usually in that day, it's women who filled jars for men. He's like, no, no, no. These guys, they're going to fill up the water. You're going to drink the water they fill for you. You're safe here. Glad to have you. And at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? If you remember in verse 2, she said, uh, Hey, uh, let me go out. When she said to Naomi, I'm going to go out and see if I can find favor with somebody. Well, here here he says, we just read him say, uh, or she says to him, Why? So she found someone who grants her favor. And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law. Small town, there you go again. I've been told all about what you did for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. He said, I've heard all about that. You're amazing. You're kind and brave and... and uh, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by Yahweh, the King, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to find favor. He says, listen, you've been an amazing lady. I've already heard about the things you've done. I am going to be gracious to you. I'm going to pray for you that God will bless you, and then I am also going to put myself in a place of being used by God to bless you. And in verse 13, she says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've given me comfort, spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. She's not just a servant girl working in a field. She's an immigrant. She's not from those people. She doesn't belong there. She is at the bottom of the bottom. 
And she recognizes that. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, really. Uh, I'd like to try that. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. What they would do is they'd take the grain, they'd put it in, a, in like a pan, and they'd roast it right over a fire, and then they'd just eat it, which is also something that sounds like it'd be fun to try. And she ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers from among the sheaves, like even if she gets alongside you, doesn't just pick up leftovers, but she actually starts getting alongside you and parallel to you in harvest, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. He recognizes she's at the bottom of the social order in this field. And she could be taken advantage of. And I don't want anyone to do that. As a matter of fact, because she's at the bottom, I want her treated with extra graciousness. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And then she threshed the barley that she'd gathered. And it amounted to about an ephah. So she's worked all day long. She's gathered. Now she's threshing. That means she's separating wheat from chaff. And uh, at the end of the day, and she's got an ephah, which commentators, they all kind of don't exactly know how much that is, but they all seem to agree it's somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. Okay, that's a lot of grain. That was a big, a big haul for someone who's just gleaning. And she has an ephah, and she carries it back to town, 30 to 50 pounds of grain, carries back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. And Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. So like, I brought you this grain, plus I got a box left over from what I had for lunch. She brings it. Her mother-in-law asked her, where? Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Where in the world did you get all this? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth, her mother-in-law, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. Notice how she leads up to it. She tells her mother-in-law about the one whose place she'd been working, the name of the man I worked with today. Let me think, what was it again? Oh yeah, it's Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you don't know what a kinsman redeemer is. We'll get to that next week. Basically says this guy is family and in a place to play a critical role in, in our family's well-being. Then Ruth the Moabitess says, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Remember, everyone in that day did whatever was right in their own eyes. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay. That's what happens to Ruth. That's what she experiences. And uh, not just happens to Ruth, but happens also to Naomi. Naomi. 
and Boaz. I mean, we really see several different characters beginning to interact here. And remember our goal this morning. We want to learn how to spot God at work. We, w- we want to learn to see how God works in the lives of ordinary people. So we're going to begin, we're going to practice by spotting, spotting God at work in the life of Ruth. And it's clear that God is at, the work, at work in the lives of Ruth and in the lives of Naomi. They are widows, and God cares for widows. God cares for those who can't care for themselves. And he exercises a special way of caring for people in need. And we call it today, we have a word for it. It doesn't really come from the Bible, but it's kind of a word to describe what we see in the Bible. It's a word called providence. Providence is what we see here taking place. And providence means protective care. So we see God acting out his protective care for these two needy women who arrived in Bethlehem thinking they were both doing the right thing but not sure how it was going to work out. And so God exercises his protective care over them. There's a word picture of this. In Boaz's prayer for Ruth, in verse 12, where Boaz says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You remember that Ruth had committed herself to Naomi's God. She said, Your God's going to be my God. I'm not going to follow the gods of Moab anymore. And Boaz says, Listen, when you did that, you came under the the wings of of the God of Israel. You, you are now able to take refuge under God's wings and you experience his protective care. Well, that's what we see being played out in chapter 2. We see her experiencing God's protective care in her life. And here's what I love about this, is that God's protective care shows up in the details of her life. This is the picture we get of God's providence here is that God is in the details. God is in the details. And one of the most telling verses, I don't know if you found that interpretive comment, and I'll bet, I'll bet if we uh, took a poll, we'd have found a, a, a dozen. You probably have a dozen different candidates for the, that significant interpretive comment that's one of the most significant interpretive comments in the whole book that comes from the narrator? Well, uh, you know, we probably have a bunch of candidates, but, but the one that I think is the most telling is actually found in verse 3. Now, here's what verse 3 says. So, she went out and be glad, began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, this is the narrator getting a little... He's, uh, there's a little bit of a snark here in the, in the phrasing that the narrator uses. He uh, is kind of smirking a little bit. He's giving you a little wink, wink when he says the words, as it turned out. As it turned out. Now, it's not necessarily as clear... In our translation, but one commentator says this is the, one of the most significant interpretive comments of the whole book. What? As it turned out? Yeah. Because the Hebrew says this. The Hebrew, in Hebrew, the narrator says, her chance chanced upon. Okay? And, and her chance chanced upon. It's just a Hebrew way of saying, and, sh- and her luck really got lucky right here when she found herself working in the field. 
I love the way the old King James Version, which is from 1611, sounds so Shakespearean, how they translate this phrase. They say, And her hap was to light upon a field belonging unto Boaz. It was her hap, okay, to light upon this field. It just happened. Crazy. Crazy. She just somehow happened to end up in the field of the guy I told you about in verse 1. Remember him? She happens to end up there. The New, Inter- New English Bible says, Now she just happened to end up. She just happened to end up in this field. See, in Ruth's day, finger quotes hadn't been invented yet. Okay? And so the narrator has to let you know, listen here, this is Ruth's lucky day. It's her lucky day. The narrator is calling us to pay special attention to an ordinary event that is not ordinary because God is in it. It's a small detail that God is involved in. He shows up in that, in, in, in the, the God that Ruth had adopted in chapter one is now taking care of her in chapter two. In the details. Now, from Ruth's point of view, it must have felt very much like this. Verse 2, me and Naomi, we've been staring at each other in this dark room for the last ten days. One of us has got to do something. I don't know anybody here, but i got to get up and do it. So she walks out of the house. She walks down the sidewalk. She gets to the street. And she says, I have no idea which way to go. Think how it must have felt to Ruth. I don't know. I guess I'll just go this way. It looks like there are some people over there and some people over there. So I'm just going. And she goes and she looks at these people and says, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm going to go to that field. I mean, from, from, now, from Ruth's perspective, it must have felt really random. I don't know which way to go. I just know I have to do something. But actually, it's all being orchestrated by God in what must have seemed like a random event. God is in the details. Now, that's one place. That's the, that's the funnest place that we see that. But there's some other places that are significant. We see it in, in how Naomi, I mean, Naomi, who, remember, she's bitter, she actually is able to recognize God at work. Verse 19, she says this. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where'd you glean today? Where'd you work? I mean, where'd you come up with all this stuff? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. That could be a compliment or an insult, if you think about it. Um, Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. Well, let me tell you, this guy, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi, bitter Naomi, who hasn't seen God at work in her life in a long time, says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, you might have a translation that, uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity here in the, in the second statement. The Lord bless him. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Who has not stopped showing his kindness that he 
uh, he, the he of he has not stopped is a little bit unclear. Even in the Hebrew, the scholars are about 50-50 on whether that refers to Boaz has not stopped showing kindness or the Lord has not stopped showing kindness. And the New International Version kind of leaves it, kind of leaves it undetermined because it's undetermined in the Hebrew, so it passes the decision along to us which is a good way of translating the Bible when it's not clear. And uh, I think the he that is being described here is still the Lord. The Lord bless him because the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. I think Ruth, Naomi hears Ruth's story, and she knows who Boaz is, so she can fill in the gaps. She can fill in the details and connect the dots in a way that Ruth had no clue what was going on. And so she knows what verse 1 tells us. Boaz is a man of standing... He's a man of integrity. He's a gracious person. But even more, he's family. And there's, that's going to become a really important detail in, in the course of this story. And in that, even bitter Naomi says, Whoa, I think I just saw God do something. In the most ordinary event, I see God at work. And we get back to... Uh, uh, one more place where we can see this truth at work, it's verse 12. It's that prayer that Boaz prays when he says to, uh, to, to Ruth that, uh, she's, you know, that he wants to help take care of her. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Uh, he prays that Ruth would find refuge under God's wings, under God's protective care. And he doesn't know it yet, but right now, he's the agent of answering that prayer. He is how God is answering that prayer in her life, just by his kindness to Ruth. And he's going to get an even bigger answer to this prayer. He's going to be an even bigger answer to this prayer later on. But what we see here is God taking care of Ruth under his wings in the details. That's what I want us to hear this morning, that, that this thread that runs through chapter 2 and applies to us today, that God is involved in the details of our lives. The details. Here's what one uh, writer says about this. He says, behind the apparent chances of the ordinary, should I go this way or that way? Behind the apparent chances of the ordinaries of day-to-day encounters, God is expressing his providential rule and care. Now, that wasn't just happened, what happened to one person's life 3,000 years ago. That's how God works in the lives of his people. You see God directing Ruth, well, go this way and not that way, and pass those people up and go to the next field. I mean, you see God directing her. You, got see, you see God providing for her. You see God protecting her in a, in a society where she could be taken advantage of. I mean, God gives her lunch that day more than she can eat, and then gives her 50 pounds of grain that'll last her for a while. So God's taking care of her right now, but more important, what she doesn't know today is that this chance encounter is setting up the rest of her life. What God did for her today is a drop in the bucket when you step back and look at the big picture plan that God is putting into place here. He is setting up her entire future with a husband, with children, with security and grandchildren, and a legacy that people are going to be talking about 3,000 years later, a legacy that we haven't even touched on yet. Some of the biggest things that happen in her story don't happen until about the last 
paragraph of the whole book. And I just find that really encouraging. That for those of us who don't have someone to narrate our lives for us, to be reminded that God is at work in the details, in the ordinary events of who we meet, what we choose, uh, what actions we take, that God is in that, doing things not only to take care of us at the moment, but also to set up His plan for our futures. I love that. And we can't deny that this is what's happening to Ruth. And we can't deny that this is what the, the narrator wants us to understand. God is at work in the details. But it does make us ask the question, why? Why is God at work like this? Why is God doing this for Ruth? There seems to be a prerequisite going on. And don't forget, it's not just Ruth that's getting blessed by all this. It's told from Ruth's perspective, but there's a guy out there who just met a girl who's going to become his wife. I mean, God is working in his life too. Here's a successful, influential businessman with no wife and no life companion and no heirs to his legacy, and God's doing good things for him too. Why? Why Ruth? And Boaz, why did they get to have a lucky day? Well, I think the reason that God is honoring Ruth and honoring Boaz is because they are striving to honor him. They're trying to honor him. They're living according to his principles. In a world where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, Ruth and Boaz were trying to do what was right in the eyes of the God of Israel. Israel. That's why God's involved in the details of their life. Remember chapter 1, Ruth rejects the gods of Moab and she says, your God is going to be my God. And she started to act accordingly. She's starting to act according to God's principles. Look at how verse 11 tells us what Boaz noticed about this this girl. He says, I've been told all about what you did for your mother-in-law. Since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you didn't know before. Two things, two qualities he calls her out for there. He calls her out for her kindness. I can see what you did for your mother-in-law. It's going all around town. You left everything you knew. So the, her kindness and also her courage. You walked away from your mom and your dad and your homeland. You're a brave lady. You're, you're acting in faith for a God that you have just adopted. Why is God honoring Ruth? Because she's striving to honor him. And the same thing for Boaz. I mean, Boaz's kindness in this chapter is over the top. It's over the top kindness, unparalleled. To uh, uh, And remember, he, all these gracious things he does for her over and over throughout that day, he's at the very tip top of the social ladder and she is at the very bottom. And uh, someone might say, well, you know... You could romanticize this chapter. You could say, well, Boaz has a crush on Ruth, and that's why he's being nice to her. There's not any of that here. All, what you have here is a man of influence and power and wealth, using his influence and power and wealth not to take advantage of someone, but to be gracious to them. I think God's honoring Ruth and honoring Boaz. He's in the details because they're trying to follow him. 
ask yourself the flip side. Would we see this same level of involvement from God? Would he be in the details if everyone in this chapter was a jerk? If everyone in this chapter is like out for themselves and doing their own, is God going to be providentially caring for them and taking care of them? No. No, I think this chapter shows an interplay of human responsibility and God's blessing. Personal initiative, divine provision. People who treat each other in kindness and therefore experience kindness from God. I think the timeless principle in the passage is this. God is in the details. That's part of it. God is in the details when we are in his will. That's the whole timeless truth from the chapter. God is in the details when we are in his will. And that's why God is blessing Boaz and Ruth. In a culture where everyone is out for themselves, they are, they are practicing kindness, graciousness, initiative, generosity, responsibility. I think it's because they are in God's will that God is in the details. And I think if you want to be able to say, God is in the details of my life, you've also got to be able to say, because I am in His will. Now, I don't want to paint being in God's will as this tiny little bullseye. It's like this perfect, small, you've made every right choice and you're exactly where you ought to be. That's how I used to think of God's will. I don't think, that's not what I'm saying this morning. You've got to have it all together for God to be in the details of your life. What I'm saying is you've got to have, uh, you've got to be pursuing God. You've got to be aspiring to follow him with a whole heart. You've got to be, uh, to the best of your enabling, uh, being, being responsive to him and living by his principles. And that as you do that, as you aspire to follow Jesus above all, then you can assume that God is guiding you, providing for you, protecting you, even in ordinary daily events. And he's not just caring for your present, he's setting up your future. God is in the details when we are in his will. Now think about that for just a minute, and then we're going to close. When you follow God, when you love him and pursue him, he's in the details. That means that he's guiding the people that you meet. How awesome is that? That means that he's helping you decide when you're at a fork in the road, you're like, do I go that way or this way? And you don't know, and you can say, I've got to do something. He's in that. That God is in the details of, of taking care of you when you're like, I do not know what's going to happen next. And, and God's going to show you. God is in the details. That is a beautiful thing to know. And here's what I want you and me to live with, to leave with. Just this assurance that as you follow Jesus, God will take care of you, even through the most mundane and ordinary uh, events of your life, that he is in those as well. So what do we do? I've got, I kind of left you a lot of blanks at the conclusion. Sorry about that. I just want to help you fill them in here. If God is in the details when we're in his will, then here's what you want to do. You want to get up every day and make following Jesus your north star. You want to say, all right, I want God in the details of my life. I know I'm not going to earn it. I don't earn God. But, but I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to assume that God is going to be in every part of what I do today. Okay? Uh, your North Star. And, and then you trust. You trust God in, with the details of your day. As those details unfold, you trust him with the details of your life. You act with the kindness 
of Boaz and Ruth. Act with their generosity. Act with their courage. Act with their initiative. And then just trust that God's going to unfold these details as, as he sees fit. Not always how you see fit, but as he sees fit. And then watch God turn your ordinary life into a story. Watch God turn your ordinary life into a story of his faithfulness and your usefulness in the world. It's a great chapter. It's a beautiful thing to be able to look at someone's life, ordinary, see how God worked, and be assured that God works the same way in our lives as well. I hope that that gives you something to go on, something to live on this week as you live your ordinary life and I live mine and we watch God turn it into stories of his faithfulness. Let me pray for you. Let me give you just a minute, first of all, to respond to this message by thanking God for his protective care or by asking him for wisdom and making a decision or whatever is on your mind this morning as you want to see God Uh, in the details of your life. Take just a minute to respond to him and then I'll pray for all of us. Father, thank you for being our father, for caring for us and watching over us, for exercising your protective care, your providence over our lives, for giving us refuge under your wing as we live in a a challenging world, in a challenging day. But we know you, and so we can live with boldness and hope and trust as the details of our lives unfold. We are so thankful for this. I pray that you'll drive this home to each of us. Help us to choose following you above all, and then experience the blessings that come from knowing that you're involved in the details of our lives. We ask for this. We need your Spirit to help us with this. We ask it from you in his name. Amen.